Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. Hello, and welcome to Polycast episode 380. I'm the main team, and today I'm joined by Canis Albinus. Oh, crap. I had something clever. Now I forget. Makalua? More proof that it's a little too early for some of us for this. What? And Mega Bears fan. Now with a shiny new microphone that hopefully allows me to sound like I am not coming to you live from Mars. And don't worry, I never had anything clever. It's the middle of another month, which means it's time for another DLC update. This time for March, we get some fun stuff, and some not-so-fun stuff, and some silly stuff. So, we get Portugal announced, which we'll talk about in a subsequent topic. But for the uh, patch itself, we get a new game mode, Zombie Defense, because we didn't have enough zombies already. All units killed have a chance of coming back as a zombie. Units killed by zombies become more zombies. You build barricades and traps on the map that zombies can't destroy, and they damage zombies that move into or adjacent to them. There are city projects which lets you take control of the zombies uh, for a length of time or to push them away. And you have an espionage mission called Zombie Outbreak, a chance to spawn a zombie for each tile worked by the target city. And so, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, remembering how Red Death was, re- was, re- was uh, you know, rea- the reaction to Red Death, why did you think we wanted zombies? Because it's 2021 and I guess everything has to have zombies? <laughs> but zombies were popular 15 years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't that like at least 10 years ago? I don't think it's quite 15, right? Eh, not quite, but still. Maybe they heard me call them Zomboys in some video many years ago. And then they, they decided that they had to include it. They heard that it's, you want zombies? Okay. Ugh. I don't want zombies. I'm playing Civ, not Resident Evil. If you want zombies, you can just play other strategy games. Like, the- you know. Or uh, get late enough and build some neighborhoods, then you'll get zombies, even in Vanilla Civ. The video preview almost made it look like it uh, plays out almost like a tower defense kind of game. It was weird when I was watching that, because I was like, oh, well, this just looks like annoying, because now all my land has to be going to zombie defense instead of building things that make Civ. So it's sort of like that old zombies scenario, or not uh, barbarian scenario in Warlords, but now it's apparently a game. 
Well, I guess since the last patch turned barbarians into actual people, they, you know, had to have some mindless cannon fodder for us to keep killing. I guess that could explain why they did this. <laughs> they could just bring back the aliens from beyond Earth. <laughs> Whatever the heck those things were in After War. It's time to actually shed light on the great mistake. And we get two new wonders with the upcoming patch. Get the Torre de Belim, which is five gold plus one admiral point turn. International trade routes from this city receive plus two for every luxury resource in the destination. When the wonder is dis- when the wonder is constructed, cities not on your home continent receive the lowest cost building they can currently construct. Must be adjacent to a coast and harbor. So uh, sounds like a water-based version of the Great Zimbabwe, almost. Very nice for somebody who is a coastal sieve. And the second wonder is Etemenaki, or Etemnan. is plus two science, and then plus two science and plus one production for all marsh tiles in your empire. Plus one and plus one science and production for all floodplains in this city, and it must be built on either marsh or a flood. Seems like another situational wonder that makes use of the upcoming map script, which is announced. We get a wetlands script. Continents flooded with rivers and marshes, extra woods, floodplains, and rainforests. Do we have a sieve that focuses on marshes, other than well, I guess the Netherlands kind of do. I don't... Th- in Civ 6, I think the Netherlands are more coastal and lake-based, because the, the polder doesn't go on marshes anymore, it goes on water tiles. That's right. You fill in lakes with it. So I, I don't... Act- I'm not actually thinking of any Civ... I think maybe Egypt has some floodplain powers, like they get to build things on floodplains that you can't normally build on floodplains, or something. Something like that. Egypt gets to build districts on floodplains. And then there's also the recently released Vietnam that uh, gets some, fl- uh, not floodplain, but marsh bonuses. So Vietnam Feature will like bonus. this map. Anybody who likes features will like this map. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of so su- is- surprised that map didn't come out with the Vietnam pack. I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't been out already, because not really that hard to make a wetlands, but then again, I don't know. I feel like we need a map pack that's all the maps we didn't get. Well, I, I also, like, aren't there already, like, uh, sliders or toggles in, like, the advanced map creator or advanced game setup that lets you change, like, how wet the uh, the map is going to be? Yes. But I don't know if that adds marshes or if it just make that makes things more lush yeah maybe i don't know if i've ever used it in civ 6 yeah i'm thinking that is a uh, a thing like that just to make it i get more tropical tiles and less tundra kind of a thing as opposed to adding marshes because what at least that's what i remember it classically being in other civs there's an episode title for you marshes 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 <laughs> If you want to go back for the old Brady Bunch reference. 
A lot of the listeners are probably too young to get that reference to. A lot of our listeners are probably too young to remember who the odd couple are. And also these who is days the odd couple? What? I have no idea. <laughs> I was going to say, I also never had to watch a bunch of reruns because there's nothing else on TV, but anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm too young to remember too young the odd for this? couple. Yeah. Oh, that's not necessarily true. Uh, my kid <laughs> makes a habit of like putting on episodes of My Little Pony and then like not really paying attention to them because she's playing uh, Minecraft or whatever on her Switch, and then she just keeps watching the same episodes over and over and over again because she keeps forgetting which ones she's seen because she's not paying attention to them. So I have the entire episodes memorized because I can hear them from the office, you know, next to where she's watching them, but she has no clue which ones she's seen and which ones she hasn't. Ah, children. Hey, it's important to have something on in the background as you're doing something else. Oh, yeah, I do it all the time, but I I usually, you know, put on something like Star Trek, which I've already seen, you know, a dozen times, so I don't need to put that much attention on it to be able to keep track of what's happening. That's what I do, except not Star Trek. That's why I have two monitors. I can just use my computer for both. So I think we have a collective, excuse me, we have a collective sigh of, okay, not so much that interesting this time, kind of a lackluster patch. Yeah, the Barbarian thing was pretty cool. Uh, I'm just automatically less interested in the, like, fantastical and sci-fi kind of stuff. I automatically have a minus 50 modifier toward any with zombies in it. Yeah, that's <laughs> true, too. Zombies have, as we've said before, been, like, overdone for at least the last, like, 10 to 15 years. I mean, they were cool in the 90s, B. So basically, things got fixed. Or things got added. I don't even know if we have any. Uh, bug fixes we're getting this patch or this one let me see yeah I wouldn't rush to conclude things got fixed usually when you add new stuff there's unintended and unexpected interactions which uh, we might get to one later yeah unexpected consequences best kind Johnny returns (laughs) yes he does it's actually a different one this time yeah, it's, it's the still third. Johnny, though. It's a different yeah. Johnny, but it's still Johnny. <laughs> Which is about as best as those of us that don't speak Portuguese can pronounce that name, because, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I call him that, because uh, when I was streaming Civ 4, I could never, ever get the pronunciation right, and people would give me crap for it. But when I stopped trying to pronounce his name correctly and just called him Johnny, then uh, I, people didn't give me crap for it anymore, so apparently Johnny's the correct pronunciation, so there you go. <laughs> Anyway, Portugal's back. What do they have? Porto de Porto do Cerco. All units are going to receive plus one sight. You get plus one trade route capacity when you civil meet a civilization and open borders with all city states. It's like, uh, well, hello. I, I now I want to load a map up with like about ten civs so I can have all the trade routes. I mean, that's it's every civ you meet. That's that's more trade routes than usually. Like if you. On a tighter map, if you meet all of your civs very early, you're going to have more trade routes than anybody could possibly have that early in the game. And I have That's to ass- 
I have to assume that when they say civilization, they mean like the actual full civilizations and not yes. uh, city states, because the game does often use the word civilization like interchangeably in that regard. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it, it does mean major civilization. Sometimes it just means any civilization, including the city states and free cities. So I'm assuming you don't get a free trade route for every city state you meet, because that would just be absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah. here I have like 30... 30- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was way too many to manage. We're we're, we're gonna have to assume that till we actually see it in gameplay. The game definitely does that, though. I mean, any anybody's seen the unmet civilization has been destroyed, and it turned out to have been a city state. Yeah. yeah. Well, and even okay. some some leader and uh, civilization abilities, I think, do say like civilization, and it means it does include city states. Like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of one specifically, but I think there's like a couple that reference like if bonuses that you get in like another civilization's land or something like that. And sometimes it means major civilization. Sometimes it means it also includes city state. Yeah, they should disambiguate that a little better. Because the word does, definitely does not always mean the same thing when you see it. Or, you know, maybe maybe we really will get, like, 20 to 30 trade routes here. And there and then there's, there's also similar issues with the word friendly. Because uh, sometimes that means only your territory, and sometimes that includes the territory of your, like, declared friends and allies. Like, I think that was the case with the Vietnam's ability. It says that you get a you, that extra bonus in... Uh, in your territory or in friendly territory or something, but it does not include like allied territory. Hmm. That might be a bug. Well, that is a bug. It's um. There's a question of which way it's bug. If it's not doing what it tells you it does, it's bugged. Yeah, it's either the a bug with the UI or the, the mechanic. Behavior. Yeah, it's just those words yeah. in the game are just like used ambiguously civilization and friendly are just ambiguous words in civilization (laughs) six unfortunately friendly is a particular tricky one because i'm always like okay does that include declared friends or do they have to be declared allies i feel like if they're friends and you have open borders with them if that should count as friendly why use different words? Than you, you think so, but that's the same word. That's always something that I have to like double check. And I, even as I'm speaking now, I can't remember how that works <laughs> because every time I play the game, I have to like refresh my memory on whether or not friendly includes that particular uh, state of relations. Yeah, well, I don't remember offhand how it works for each interaction. I'm just saying how it should work <laughs> because of what the text says. Diplomacy in general just needs patch, like. A DLC-sized patch, like an expansion-sized patch. Maybe. I, I just, you know, man, we've been over it before, but it's tough to reconcile incentives with the behavior and diplomacy. Well, now that we have all these mini nicks for trade routes, you get the Casa de India. International trade routes can only reach cities on the coast or with a harbor, but receive fifty percent towards all yields. Trader units have a 50% range over water and can embark as soon as they are unlocked. This so sounds we... like it's going to be overtuned, at least at first. We'll see, though. Yeah, this is, this is going... You know, it's like, you put those two things together, and it's like, uh, so is this a trade sieve or is this a trade sieve? Because I'm getting the impression this is a trade sieve. <laughs> and you said that uh, the, the ability means that they cannot receive 
uh, non... They cannot receive trade routes in cities that don't have harbors. So does this mean that if you're playing on, like, a landlocked map, like, Portugal just cannot receive international trade routes? Or send them. Yeah, yeah that, I don't think we're clear on that, how that's going to work just yet. Because that's definitely what it sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> you would still Portugal get the trade routes, the though, right? Map. So you just have to use all internal? Yeah. Yeah, that would be ooh, yeah. That's I mean, that kind of balances out. If that if you know if we can only do this through harbors and you can't use any inter or you can't can only do internal trade routes otherwise. Yeah, that that would that would I don't know. It still sounds strong, but it makes it a little bit uh, harder to manage at least. Play uh, Portugal on a uh, skirmish map. Because it's not like having five international trade routes or something, and then a whole bunch of internal trade routes are, is bad. That's still really strong and way more than will be available to other civs, and your net yields will still be way higher. Uh, and and this is a fairly early bonus available in the game, so uh, th- this just sounds strong to me. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. You know, see how it actually on paper it sounds really strong. The name play map makes a lot you'll just have to see well are you getting extra yield from those trade routes too or is it just extended range 50 percent yield and 50 percent range from Uh, the international ones only gold yield or all yield so do you also get like all right wow yeah 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 this is amazing on maps that where it's optimal and it's still good otherwise because like you're never going to like trade routes are worth making if you have them available regardless i mean like i guess worst case scenario is you're playing on like a small map or something like that you've got 12 trade routes available and only like four cities and you're landlocked and then you just have like you know seven routes or whatever eight routes that just you can't do anything with i guess i mean you could just make more cities and trade between your own cities though and because each additional city you add has then opens a trade route to all of your earlier cities. So you can probably figure out a way. Oh yeah, that's right. With four cities, you probably would fill up 12 trade route slots. Uh, oh no, probably not. More like Probably nine. not, but like the, the you're going to get more city possible city interactions than you have routes available pretty quickly as you scale up in empire size. So you'd have to be like completely locked in to not be able to use all your stuff. I like trade routes. We all like trade routes. <clears throat> so the unique unit is the now. It replaces the caravel and it starts with one free promotion and is less maintenance and has two charges to build Fatorias. Which, going down to there, it provides plus four gold and plus one production. Trade routes sent to the city from Portugal gain plus four gold and plus one production. You have to build it adjacent to luxury or bonus resources in territory belonging to other civilizations or city-states that you have open borders with. So you have, And you have to do it on a coast or a lake tile adjacent to land and not adjacent to another Fatoria. Which is uh, all city-states, remember. Yeah, yeah, since we have the open borders with all city-states. Oh, you have that resource? Oh, mine now. <laughs> yeah. And I think unlike the Fatoria uh, in Civilization V, it looks like this one, you can build multiple copies of it in a single civilization's mm-hmm. borders or cities. Because I think in Civ V, it was limited to only city-states and only one per city-state, if I remember yeah. correctly. Uh, so this is going to be interesting because it's going to mean that 
uh, if you're playing against Portugal, you have another sieve that can now build improvements in your territory, which is like an awkward kind of situation. I'm wondering if there's if Portugal gets anything if the uh, other sieve like removes or pillages that. Uh, uh, it says Notorious cannot be removed. Oh, can- wow. Jeez. Mm. I, if I remember correctly, Civ Five, you could remove it, but it like it gave some bonus or something back to Portugal. But I, I could be misremembering that. That sounds like some potential griefing. Well, I mean, it's still the yield. So and is, I guess. Is, was the requirement a luxury resource or any resource? Bonus, luxury or, or bonus? Yeah. So yeah, like you're going to be able to build a lot of those. Like especially if there's like a lot of. I, I, does it have to be a land resource? Can you build it next to like fish? I don't know. It doesn't say. Yeah. It has to be on a coast or a lake tile. It does coast or lake tile adjacent to land. It does not say that the but does not say that the resource has to be on land. And is it built on the resource itself? No, it's built on the water, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like the tile adjacent to it. Okay, so that, that's not too much griefing potential then, because it's not like you can deny people stuff. And uh, yeah, it's well, it, it depends if, if you're uh, if you're playing as uh, again like the Netherlands and you wanted to build say a polder in that spot. <laughs> that's true. And there's a Pretoria, uh, there. and then there's a couple other sieves that have unique water improvements. Uh, Indonesia, I think, had a unique water improvement. Mm-hmm. Yes, but that's I think that's an true. early game one, so you should be able to get those out before Portugal is, you know, dropping Fatorias all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. It would also it would block fishing boat things if you wanted to do that with Liang. But it could and also block wonder placement. So you could use this to block too. someone from building like the Sydney uh, Opera House potentially. Yeah. Unless so you, unless districts yeah. like can uh, replace yeah. it. Well, the, I I don't know if this yeah, it says cannot be removed. I don't know if a district will replace it, but yeah, I was sitting here thinking if you got to a newer city, you could block them from building a really good harbor, or you could block the wonders. You could block the water park really late on. Like, yeah, if you're uh, worried about maybe they built a border city and you don't want them to build a water park and start like you know spamming the bread and circuses mm-hmm. or whatever the heck the water park equivalent is to uh, pump out loyalty. Yeah, you could like totally just block them from. And I don't think there's even a restriction on building these adjacent to each other. So like. If the map allows it, you can just build a line of them, <laughs> continuous line all over the coast. Okay, yeah, you can't do a continuous no line. Harbors. Just say not adjacent to another Fatoria. Oh, does it specify that? Okay, I missed that yeah. part. You know, there's going to be a complaint thread at some time though, where somebody gets their harbor blocks because of an awkward city placement, and then Portugal rolls up and drops a Victoria there. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of games played across all the users, so it's going to happen to somebody. I do wonder, does this give yield to the player in whose territory it is built? Because it did say it gives like gold yes. and stuff like that, right? So the player gets something out of it. Yeah, plus four gold and plus one production in each of those tiles. And then like Portugal gets like bonus income on trade routes to that city or something? Yes, the same, yeah, the same amount, that plus four gold and plus one production. But still, like, yeah, that could totally be used to troll the other players. Let's see. The, let's see, the one last thing is they get the their unique, uh, unique building is the navigation school. It is plus 25% production towards naval units in that city and plus one science for every two coast or lake tiles in the city and plus one great admiral point. So they really, 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 really want you to build on the coast is Portugal. <laughs> hide your kids, hide your coasts. 
And Maki, we have a, a comment on YouTube from Lofty Kurzabi welcoming you back and saying it's good to hear your voice again. <laughs> yes, there's no more snow. It is staying away now. It is almost through March. I doubt I will be seeing snow again this year, thankfully. Don't know that there's much else about Portugal other than in the thread over on Syphonetics. Everybody's noticed what we've noticed about the trade routes. It's like, wow, that's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, it's hard to have more to say about them uh, as usual until we actually have a chance to uh, play with them and find out if it is as crazy, potentially broken as we think it might be. Broken or just strong, we shall see. It'll probably get tuned if it's too much, as often happens with DLC. Yeah, I I still think it's maybe not as crazy as Babylon and Grand Columbia were, but uh, (laughs) probably like in, in a good third place behind those two. Well, yeah. If you if you put them on a mostly land map, they're gonna have extra stuff, but they're not going to just roll over you. Right. A very much more map dependent than the other like really strong new civs that we got in these packs. The AI definitely won't use this to potential. No, Portugal is one of the ones that feels like it would be hard to teach to an AI what it needs to do. Yeah, you also can't tell the AI to please don't build a Fatoria in that spot, though, so <laughs> they're going to build them wherever they build them. No, it's stop building. <laughs> that is a problem. You don't have to give them open borders, at least, so if you want to make sure they don't... That's true. They do have to have open borders for that. Yeah. You can't just run in there and do it like you used to could in Civ Five. Build some fail Torias. I wonder lower if, the yields. I wonder if the new bar do the new barbarians in the the barbarians clans mode can they build unique naval units? I wonder if they can potentially build a now and uh, spam Fatorias all over the barbarian Fatorias all over the map. <laughs> oh my goodness! In their own territory, once they become a city state, maybe. But uh, I would I, hope that that would come up in testing. <laughs> I'd hope they'd look for little things like that. That would be silly. All right, and we've spent the better part of the last year basically reading news uh, because every few weeks we have uh, new DLC packs coming out. But uh, this is supposed to be a Civilization podcast focused on game strategy, right? And we haven't really had the time to talk all that much about game strategy. So we're going to try to spend at least the next few episodes uh, going back and talking more strategy about the uh, new civilizations that have uh, been released. Uh, I do believe we already talked about Grand Columbia uh, back when they first came out, before we got backlogged with other topics. So we're going to go ahead and move on now to talking some strategy for the uh, Maya civilization, which uh, I think came out in the same pack as Grand Columbia, right? Yes. So back like last March or April, or whatever. Uh, It's been a while. Yeah, I I had written a strategy guide for them uh, back in September of last year uh, on my personal blog uh, at www.megabearsfan.net, so please feel free to check that out if you want to see it in writing. 
but if you've forgotten, the uh, Maya had their special ability where they like to build their cities in very compact clusters within uh, six tiles of the capital in order to get a percentage bonus to all yields. At the time I'd written this, it was 10%. I don't know if that has changed in patches. I don't remember seeing uh, any updates to Maya in patches, so I think it's still 10%. And then a minus 15% to all yields for cities that are built further away than six tiles from the capital. Uh, but uh, this might have sounded like you can only build a handful of cities, but uh, if you actually like place them optimally, you can fit 12 whole cities uh, into that ring of six tiles. Now, it is exceedingly unlikely that you ever will fit all 12 cities in that ring because there's going to be mountains and coastlines and natural wonders and other impassable obstacles, uh, perhaps other civs, uh, cities that are going to restrict your city placement. So do not expect to get all 12 in there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not hard to get more than six. I personally recommend using map pins, which is a still fairly new feature. I think it was something that was added in the Gathering Storm expansion. Uh, so use those map pins to, you know, plan out where you're going to put your cities and also where you're going to put your districts because uh, districts can be uh, really tricky with Maya because you're going to have a lot of overlap in terms of what city owns what tiles. Uh, which means you have to plan out carefully which city is going to be placing which district where. Uh, the good news, though, is that with the city so compact and the district so compact, you're probably going to get a lot of the minor adjacency bonuses from uh, each of the other districts. Correct. And uh, Yeah, feel free to jump in if any of you others have uh, notes or observations. Not yet. It seems pretty straightforward so far. Yeah, and... Other than other than I would say, even settling cities outside the ring is not a big deal because 15% resources is not that big a deal. Yeah, which I was actually just about to get to. Um, yeah, there was a lot of people when the when this civ was first announced or when they first came out, like complaining about how you have to go tall with them. And uh, I think I pointed out at the time even that this reminded me a lot of the Gandhi or India uh, debate in Civilization Five where people thought, oh, you can only have, like, three or four cities with uh, Gandhi. And, like, no, because once you got to, like, I think it was four or five or six population or something like that, the bonus unhappiness from cities was overwhelmed by the uh, happiness bonus from population. So it's a similar situation here where, yeah, you can build or conquer cities outside of those six tiles. Like, yeah, sure, you're going to take a uh, hit to your yields, but like a good city is still going to be a good city, right? You get a city with decent uh, adjacency bonuses on districts. It's still going to be a productive city. So don't let this penalty stop you from conquering or expanding beyond that six tile radius. Yeah. Because more cities is always, there's going to be more yields full stop and keep you snowballing. And there's always going to be resources that are just outside your borders and you need to put a different city there. Yeah, you might want to pay a little bit more attention to the terrain and to, like, available resources to make sure that you're actually going to get enough yields for that city to be productive. You know, you don't, you're, you're probably not going to want to plop tundra of snowball cities just for the <laughs> no. sake of plopping cities, because those cities probably will produce absolutely nothing. Uh, 
or you know very little but even then like if you build a harbor or a commercial hub in that city like you could still get like a trade route out of it so it might be beneficial for that you know if you uh, just want to send more trade routes in between your cities or send out more international trade what else did maya do uh, let's see. So the leader ability was that settling next to fresh water or coast does not provide the extra housing, but instead each farm tile provides housing and gold and amenity. Uh, sorry, one housing and one gold, and then an extra amenity for each uh, adjacent luxury resource to the city center. So again, placement of the cities is going to be very important and this is another thing that might disrupt your ability to get that optimally compact uh city layout because if you actually are looking for getting the adjacent luxuries to your city center that might like screw up the optimal placement so there's going to be kind of like a cost benefit there where you're going to have to figure out which is more important to you do you want you know to place the city so that you can get and squeeze an extra city in there or do you prefer having like you know sitting settling your cities in between like two or three luxury resources and potentially just starting with bonus amenity uh they did change the amenity uh happiness scale like after this sieve was released to make it harder to get up to the bonuses for having uh amenity so that probably makes this consideration a lot less important. I, I don't know if uh, any of you have strong opinions about that. Uh, about amenities, it's it's harder to get them, but the bonuses aren't that severe, or the penalties aren't that severe, as far as I have seen. Yeah, really, it's so, just harder to get up to like that happy and ecstatic level where you're actually getting bonus yields from those... Uh, amenities yeah it's easier to get to the level point where at least you're not being penalized but you're not getting that over the top you know extra resources anymore so you know settling your city center next to some luxuries could be the thing that pushes you over and actually enables you that city to be happy or ecstatic in which case it might be worth doing you know it's really going to depend on how you play because if you're the kind of player who just doesn't care about happiness and, you know, never bothers to build, like, entertainment complexes, then, yeah, don't worry about this. Just build your cities in as compact a formation as you can. But do spam lots and lots of farms. Farms are good. Maya like farms. Yes. They also like food. But I think everybody likes food. Yeah, and that is another thing to consider uh, with regard to city center placement and uh, luxury resources, is Maya do tend to grow pretty quickly because they do tend to spam a lot of farms and you're going to want to spam farms and uh, grow the population pretty high. So you might run into those uh, happiness caps or housing caps a little bit sooner than you would with other civilizations. Well, the happiness or the housing cap isn't as big a deal because the farms raise the happiness. Right. Farming, the population cap. But they have to also have to build farms in order to not have a low population cap. Yeah, otherwise it's like, what, the base is three, four, something like that? Three. Yeah. They don't get get a bonus from fresh water, so it's it's like settling in the middle of the desert. Right. Uh, You can still build, like, aqueducts and stuff like that, though, so... Yeah. That can also be a good, really good source of uh, housing. 
The Maya are not dependent on their rivers. Correct. And then their unique district is the, of course, observatory, which uh, gives you bonus science for adjacent plantations and bonus science for every two adjacent farms or districts. Uh, isn't two? Isn't a plus one science for every two adjacent districts? Like, doesn't every campus have that? I think so. Isn't that just like every district gets minor adjacency from other? Di- yeah. Okay. Probably. Um, so this, uh, is something else you'll want to build in the middle of rainforests, because that's where most of the, uh, plantation resources are going to be, so you'll want to not, uh, well, I guess you, you can't chop the luxuries, but you might not want to chop bananas, uh, and might instead prefer to just plop a, uh, observatory down next to those bananas, especially if you've got those clusters of, like, two or three of them, which are fairly common. Yeah. It's not like Civ uh, Five, where bananas were better before they were plantation. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. And then their unique unit uh, was kind of, I remember being kind of meh. Uh, the Holchi, I think is how you pronounce that. It's a archer replacement uh, that gets a combat bonus when attacking wounded opponents. It also has plus three attack from the regular archer. Right, yes. Uh, so a little bit uh, stronger archer, uh, which is going to be really good for things like hunting barbarians and defending against barbarians and also defending against those early war rush civs. So if you start out and your immediate neighbor is someone like Montezuma or Tamiris or heck, even Gilgamesh with his stupid war carts, uh, you'll be in a little bit more defensible situation. And you'll also be helped by another of uh, Maya's abilities which was that all their units get plus five combat strength within six tiles of the capital. So lots of compact cities, and those cities are going to be very, very defensible, uh, especially early in the game when you've got your uh, unique archer. If you did it with the right timing, you could get a, like a little swarm of them and go on a little bit of a rampage, but you couldn't really push as far as you might think. Oh yeah, against uh, cities without walls, those archers are going to be really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once the walls come up, they're going to be, you know, not quite so good, though. (laughs) No. Oh, and uh, an important note is that the unit's combat strength uh, is only when attacking wounded units. They do not get a combat strength when they are defending in melee against uh, wounded units. So... You know, that's also something to uh, to keep in mind if you are planning on using them as, like, a defensive force. Uh, don't let, still don't let melee units attack them, because they're not going to get a bonus against that. I think it's a good idea to not let uh, melee units attack your ranged units anyway. True. Yeah, broadly that's avoided. Doesn't mean you can always do it, but... So let's see, as far as, uh, you know, settling cities and expanding and and growing your cities, you're definitely going to want to probably put higher priority on uh, aqueducts and um, granaries and stuff like that that provide bonus housing because you're going to need to get your housing up early in the game uh, so that you don't hit that uh, that threshold uh, earlier than you should. You know, building farms will help, but you will probably still want some aqueducts. Uh, and then, you know, the aqueducts are also nice because eventually you'll be able to build industrial complexes next to them and get some pretty good uh, adjacency bonuses, especially if you throw in some dams as well. 
Yeah, dams are great. Prevent those floods. And uh, Maya will also, because they get most of their housing from farms, are probably going to be clear-cutting woods, rainforests, and uh, woods tiles. Uh, So you're going to need lots and lots of builders uh, to A, chop those things down, and then also to B, to uh, plop the farms underneath them. So taking policies like, uh, what is it, Ilkum and uh, Serfdom, I think, early in the game will help you get those builders out quicker and give them more charges. Uh, The Pyramids World Wonder, if you happen to have any desert tiles around, would uh, give them all an extra charge. And the Liang Governor will help give uh, builders built in one city uh, extra charges. What's the name of that building that you build the government district that gives you a worker and uh, plus worker charges? Uh oh gosh yeah it's when you found the city you get a free builder I don't think it gives you extra yeah. charges it just gives you the free builder when you found the city but if you do have serfdom in play that builder will start with the two extra charges uh it's not the audience chamber it's the uh, ancestral hall which is uh yeah pretty good for Maya it, that's a good uh, government complex building for any civilization that has like a unique uh, improvement that you're going to be spamming a lot because you're just going to need more builders. And having that builder when you first plop the city is, uh, you know, really helpful. Especially if you are doing a lot of, like, late classical or medieval expansion, where you do have the serfdom policy in play. Uh, the Ancestral Hall, like, is really good. Uh, Phil might still disagree that the uh, Warlord's Chamber is still better. <laughs> <laughs> Warlord's uh, Throne, yeah. But if if you like to build, then the uh, Ancestral Hall is really, really good. Hey, I like to build military units. <laughs> yeah, you don't need builders for that, though, so... Well, you make a few builders. That's right, so that you can chop things in order to rush those military units. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's some good tile improvements when you're building military units. There's nothing wrong with having some builders. If you build military... Uh... Oh, what are they called? Military engineers? Hmm. Not usually. Because you can use those to build, uh, oh crap, forts, which add tile defense. Zone of control. No, not you four. <laughs> <laughs> it literally just puts the cancer icon from Binding of Isaac on the map rather than an actual fort. Uh, one thing to one thing to keep in mind if you uh, are clear cutting all your forests and rainforests is I believe that will make you much more susceptible to certain natural disasters. I think uh, tornadoes and uh, droughts uh, are more common in p- empty plains and grasslands. So uh, do keep that in mind. Uh, you you might want to give the uh, reinforced materials promotion to Liang and uh, keep her in. Uh, some of your cities that have the most flatlands so that you don't constantly have to keep sending out builders to repair tiles pillaged by tornadoes or later in the game having to completely replace those improvements. I still don't understand how a tornado could completely completely erase an entire crop. Like, oh, this tornado, it destroyed every farm entire 500 miles square. 
Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with forest fires, right? Like, forest every fires forest... have a bigger chance of doing that, though. Yeah, but, but like every forest, forest fire in the game is on par with like some of the greatest forest fires that we've seen. Well, again, it's you know abstractions. It's not one single tornado. It's a, a years or decades or whatever of tornadoes happening more frequently over yeah. the course of that decade, you know, in different places in close proximity. So, yeah, you know, it's all abstractions. I'm pretty sure that that clear-cutting the forest doesn't cause more tornadoes, but it does cause Not more in reality. Yeah, it'll cause dust storms for sure, but uh, dust, dust storms, storms also do not completely destroy entire farms. They do a much better job of it than tornadoes do. Like, they really had to do some serious geoengineering to get those dust storms in Oklahoma to stop destroying farms back in the Dust Bowl. Have you ever been out there and seen what they've done? Uh, no, I have not. I have. I've driven through it, but... They uh, plant huge windbreaks of plants to keep the wind from blowing off the soil, and they're all over the place. And it's very obvious that that's what they are, but it takes a long time for those to grow, so. So there you go. I guess uh, Civ 6's tornadoes should really just be dust storms. It would probably make more sense, and it would also make more sense because the worst tornadoes are dependent on surrounding geography pretty significantly. Outside of a couple areas in the world, you just don't get the highest scale tornadoes. Now, Oklahoma does also get lots of tornadoes. It is nicknamed Tornado Alley, so... Yeah, well, Tornado Alley and, and um, an area in Bengali, India, are like the two areas in the world which routinely get the nastiest tornadoes. I mean, you can get them from storms and stuff, too, like uh, from hurricanes and whatever, but... <sighs> tornadoes can happen anywhere. They just are much more common in... Yes, and the high-strength ones are almost entirely constrained uh, to those Tornado Alley type of areas. Yeah, we've had a few baby tornadoes here in uh, Vegas over the years. I think they're caused by the winds swirling because we're in that valley, so the winds come over the mountains and then down into the valley and swirl around. Yeah, and you need relatively flat terrain for them, too, so you're not going to get like tornadoes in the Himalayas or something, but... <laughs> well, like at the near the Himalayas, but not in Himalayas. What you really need is vertical instability, and uh, for that you need a lot of moisture. And Vegas does not have a lot of moisture. Right, which is why when those tornadoes do happen, they are very surprising. <laughs> the, what makes um, the Great Plains so bad for tornadoes is the Gulf of Mexico and the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Put those two together, you get a lot of hot air plus cold air and a lot of moisture. I'm I'm pretty sure like nearly all of the F5, like the highest scale tornadoes, are Great Plains and India. Like <laughs> Florida's had a couple F4s ever, from what I recall. They happen in uh, Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah, Tornado Alley Alley generally has like the. Anyway, yeah, like the later you, know, you get on tornadoes, the they're still dangerous because they can fling debris and they can still pick up humans well below the maximum strength. But they become very much less dangerous as they get slower. Yeah, they don't like strip buildings down to their foundations and like they would in the Midwest. But they will do that to the Maya in Civilization Six. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. All, all tornadoes are F5 tornadoes in Civ 6. And there's always like 20 of them. Yeah, they just like form a row and just rake their way down. <laughs> I mean, it's what almost a terrifying like, picture. Like uh, more Oklahoma, where they have a tornado every ten years, and it's always really. And I could you imagine like a row of like thirty tornadoes, like FI tornadoes, just, just coming down an area? Oh my god! That would the be nightmare. Uh, that would be nightmare fuel. Yeah, 300 mile an hour winds on all of them. You know, that's not, that's not, uh, bleep this one place in particular. It's like bleep this whole city in particular. Yeah. You only need one of them for that, though. Depending on the size of the city. Yeah, cities are usually big enough that that's not a thing if they're like uh, significant size cities. Because these things only get like a mile or so in. Diameter, right, or maybe more than that, but not like the thirty big, plus. The, the biggest sides, tornado, yeah, definitely. The biggest tornado on record was like two and a half miles across at the base. Yeah, so it's pretty devastating because these things move around, obviously. But that's that would not come anywhere near leveling a city. But if you put like twenty of them side by side and just raked it over a city, then sure. Thankfully, Mother Nature does not allow that to happen. <laughs> Physics says yeah. no. Might, might be some interference there. But Civilization Six says yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you don't see it, but they have spellcasters causing these. That's true. I mean, that was in one of the uh, the New Frontiers DLCs, right? Is we got those yeah. as, as playable units, quote unquote, the stairs. We got a we got a peek behind the curtain in that particular game mode. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, back to Maya. Um, yes. If, if you are a builder, uh, then good infrastructure to look at. Uh, in terms of wonders, uh, the Hanging Gardens are probably going to be pretty good <clears throat> for uh, Maya uh, if you want to grow your population up uh, really high. Uh, and then any infrastructure or districts or wonders that provide regional bonuses are going to be really good for Maya because those compact cities means you're much more likely for those regional bonuses to uh, affect more cities than they might otherwise affect if you were a little bit more spread out. So uh, I think the uh, Jebel Barkal uh, gives free faith to cities within four tiles. Uh, Colosseum, of course, gives amenity to tiles within uh, or to cities within six tiles. Uh, Statue of Liberty later in the game is 100% loyalty for cities within six tiles. Uh, and then there's, of course, just your standard like industrial hubs. The factories and the power plants are probably going to be a little bit better for Maya because they're going to one single industrial hub is going to give those bonuses to more cities. And uh, is, is Mexico City still in the game as a city state? I assume it is because yeah. they haven't added a Mexico civilization yet. It is. Uh, I, and I think that is still extends the effects of regional buildings to nine tiles instead of six tiles, which means you build that like in your capital uh, and it is like covering your entire civilization. So. And then I think there's also uh, one or two great engineers who can extend the range of industrial hubs. Yes. I don't remember their names. Uh, I had written down in, in my guide that Nikola Tesla was one of them, but the abilities of the great people does change from time to time over the course of the game, and new ones get added, so uh, it might be different ones now. I don't think they changed any of the old abilities. 
in DLC. I know they added some great people, but I don't think they changed existing ones. Yeah, I don't think so either, but, you know, just saying, uh, this this was written, you know, more than six months ago, so uh, things have changed. Uh, I don't know, any other good wonders for Maya? Oh, what's the one? I forget. Any of the newer wonders from the other New Frontiers? The Five Swordsmen in general wonder? The which There's one? There's so many new wonders. Five Swordsmen plus that. general. <laughs> Oh, that's the modern equivalent of the six axe wonder, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't axe rush people into six uh, very easily as the Maya. So, is that the uh, statue of Zeus? No. <laughs> Screw that wonder. You're, you're reminding me of the Sith Four statue of Zeus. <laughs> no, I, I just meant literally building the swords and calling it a. Oh, wonder. oh, okay. It, it's a. <laughs> it's an old joke. Yeah. Well, there was a wonder that gave you free military units. I I was wondering, because I thought it was Spearman. I was wondering if they changed it to be Swordman based on Phil's feedback. No. That Spearman suck. And let's see, uh, as far as uh, victory goes for Maya, uh, obviously with the unique science district, uh, you, know, you'll, you might want to look at a science victory. Uh, they'll be pretty competitive in that field, but still not quite as competitive as uh, civilizations like Korea or Samaria, which can just spam science improvements all over the map. The fact that they're very compact and defensible and that you might want to play them with more of like a turtle strategy might mean they're a very good sieve for a diplomatic victory attempt. Uh, you're not really going to be spreading your cities out too far and, you know, encroaching on other players' borders and stuff like that. So uh, if you want to be the anti-fill and play peacefully, uh, Maya's yeah. a, a pretty good sieve for that. And then just the fact that you get 10% extra yields, uh, you know, can be applied towards faith or uh, I assume tourism is also included in the, the 10% bonus. I think so. So, uh, you know, your religion and culture victories uh, will be a little bit easier to come by in that regard. Although, uh, if you're going for either of those victories, you will probably still want to be building more cities beyond that that six-tile range, just because the more cities you have, the more of both of these yields you're generating. And then, of course, if you're Phil, uh, you can always just apply 10% bonus production towards units and sweep over the map. Crunch, crunch. So Maya is a very well-rounded civilization that can be competitive, I think, for any victory condition that's in the game. And then in all my guides, I also like to write a few tips on how to play against a particular civilization, whether that civilization is a human player or AI, uh, although that always comes with the caveat of I don't play very much multiplayer, so I'm always looking for feedback from other players about you know their tips and tricks for multiplayer feedback. But uh, as far as an AI goes, uh, Lady Six Sky's agenda is that she doesn't like people who settle cities near her. So if you start with her as your immediate neighbor, she's probably not going to be too happy with you. But if you start anywhere else on the map, uh, you're probably just going to have that bonus diplomatic modifier as soon as you meet her. And she's going to be very friendly towards you. So that's a pretty reliable trade partner right there, as long as she's not your immediate neighbor. 
And uh, other than that, maybe don't go for invading her right at the start of the game because of those more powerful archers. Maybe wait until you have more overwhelming units like, uh, you know, bombards or whatever. Uh, also, don't plan on converting her through loyalty pressure or religious pressure because those really high population compact cities are just not going to flip. Uh, maybe if you're like Eleanor and you just got crazy bonuses towards flipping loyalty flipping cities, just probably not going to happen against the Maya. Unless you have more bigger cities close to... Yeah, but you would have to be... <laughs> building a lot of them and have a lot of population. It's much easier just to kill them. Yes, but that also does lead to some problems because the unique city placement uh, strategies for Maya means that conquering those cities means you get really crappy cities because they're not necessarily going to be built next to water. Uh, when you capture them, you're going to lose the bonus housing from any farms that the Maya had built, which means you're probably going to plummet right back down to having like single digit housing available in any cities that you capture. If you're lucky, maybe they already built an aqueduct and you keep that. Uh, otherwise they're not going to be great cities unless you put a lot of work into, uh, uh, rebuilding their housing. So you can conquer them to get them out of the way, but, you know, don't expect to be getting super great cities out of it. Well, you just raise them and resettle. Yeah, that's true as well, aside, of course, from the capital, but the capital probably will be in a really good spot because uh, the Civ Six map generator really likes to put capital cities next to fresh water. Although I guess if you're Maya, you're a little bit more free to move your settler at the start of the game as well. Because you don't yeah. necessarily need the fresh water, so you can look for settling on that Plains Hills just to get some free extra production for the whole game, or look to settle that capital next to uh, Luxuries for free extra amenity. Uh, and that actually also does uh, bring me back to something that I forgot to mention earlier, which is that just getting those free... Uh, amenities from the luxury from settling next to luxury resources means that when you improve those luxury resources you're a little bit more free to just trade them away even if it's your only copy of that luxury so if you really 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 want to get on another ai's good side you can just sell uh luxuries to them early in the game a little bit more willy-nilly because you're going to get some of that amenity back for just having settled next to the luxury and it's also a good source of early game gold which you can put towards buildings and units uh, do any of you have experience playing against human-controlled Mayan players? Any tips or tricks that any of you have? For playing against Maya, I like to use the good old-fashioned Six Swords one. <laughs> I don't know about against humans, though. Oh, against humans, you gotta use some archers. Lots of archers, actually. I don't think there's anything necessarily I'd be doing against a human Maya player that I wouldn't be doing against a human player full stop, so... Yeah. Nothing special. Yeah. I would say, if anything, maybe just being a little bit more careful about how you invade their territory, because those compact cities means a lot more overlapping bombardments, especially if they've thrown some encampments in there. So, you know, you might be taking one or two more uh, city bombardments per turn than you're maybe used to if you try, like, actually penetrating through their line. Uh, so probably don't do that. Get the uh, border cities first. And just slowly, methodically move your way in. Or just uh, send in some horses and just pillage every tile. 
if they survive long enough to do that. Well, you sent in several, so you can't have them all killed at one time, but pillage their land, and then you come and attack them after like ten terms you've already built and haven't. Yeah, and I mean, that's good against any Civ, not just Maya. I feel like humans would be able to defend that more easily, though. The other option is to just attack from both sides at once. (laughs) If you can. I don't play competitive multiplayer, if you haven't noticed. I mean, I haven't fought other players, and I've barely fought other players in the Civ 6, and it's been a very long time now. But broadly speaking, they're going to be able to scout to see you coming if they're like paying attention at all or playing decently at all. And they'll probably have some units that'll gum up your ability to just freely pillage them, in addition to like city shooting at you. So, well, and if I remember, you don't have like you don't have forever to walk all the way around uh, to hit them from multiple sides, unless you're like orchestrating a, an attack from multiple people onto the target. So it's not just you attacking them. That's different than that. That actually is a threat. And if I remember correctly, the city center and encampment districts themselves also apply zone of control. So, Oh, that's right. So it wouldn't work anyway because Mayan cities are so close together. Gosh darn it. Yeah, it's, like I said, you've got like three tiles between a, a between Mayan cities, and then if there's an encampment thrown in between there, like you're literally never not adjacent to an encampment or a city. Freaking fences. Yeah, they've got a better Great Wall than China does. But, but I would argue that this is going to be pretty hard to do, even uh, even in against normal sets. But yeah, Maya's extra incentive to compactify themselves is not going to make it easier to do, like, pillaging runs on people. Yeah, I think... Imagino line. I think most, you know, <laughs> players in competitive multiplayer are probably building fairly compact civilizations for this very reason. But yeah, like you said, Maya just gives them extra incentive to make sure they do so. I feel like good multiplayer uh, uh, players are not going to be playing Maya. They're going to be playing somebody with better production. Yeah, or like a good early unique unit or something. Maya does have a unique unit that's early, but it's not necessarily good. I mean, at this point, I'm assuming that every like six-player uh, multiplayer game of Civ Six is just six Simon Bolivars. That'd be uh, interesting. What color Inca are you? <laughs> that's been a while. Do you realize that's been 16 years ago? What? I try not to. <laughs> no, don't remind me that much time has passed. At least you had some other pickable options in uh, Civ Four. Because, like, as good as Inca was at killing the AI in archers, it had nothing special against warriors. So <laughs> they could just attack with warriors and lose against other warriors, even if they did it right away. I'm Boudica of Rome. Well, there's that too. Yeah, <laughs> with unrestricted. Well, I would argue with unrestricted a protective leader of Mali is the most obnoxious thing. Because you just build a barracks and put counter promotions on. Including shock. It's so stupid. I miss the Civ 5 promotion trees. Civ 5 ones, huh? Um, yeah. They, at least, they gave you a lot of choice and there was a lot more... It felt like uh, losing high-promoted units 
hurt more in Civ Five than it does in Civ Six. I don't know. Uh, I try not to lose well promoted units in Civ Six, but uh, they're really strong. It, it hurts when it happens. I feel like yeah. the the only well promoted units that I really hate losing are any range unit that's got that second range strike promotion, and any recon unit that's been able to get to that. Uh, ambush promotion that's the plus 20 combat strength in any situation losing those units always hurts because especially recon units because it's so hard to get experience for them early in the game like if you have a skirmisher with that promotion who dies it's just like no i don't know man experience siege is really nice because it, it significantly increases your firing profile um and even melee uh, you get pretty hefty boosts to their effectiveness as frontline units. Like they sponge range attacks so much better and they are harder to kill. Um, I don't know. Like there's there's less variety, sure, but well promoted units are still really strong in Civ 6. I think the big problem that I have with the melee promotion tree in Civ 6 is that second level is just two not very worthwhile promotions because they're both for like amphibious attacks, which is just kind of like, eh. I think one of them gives you movement, and that's valuable. I think it's one of them is it lets you cross rivers without the penalty, and the other is it lets you climb cliffs. So you can do amphibious assaults through cliffs. Okay, I thought you got a movement point somewhere in there too, but I might be misremembering. Unless they added it at some point and I just never noticed it. Yeah, I might be thinking of something different. Still, crossing rivers is pretty nice uh, when you're trying to maneuver around a city. Because a lot of them are settled on or near rivers. Yeah, but if you're sieging the city anyway, you've got units on both sides of the river, so... Eh. Yes, but you have to move them to get into that point, and doing that faster is... Well, I don't think it increases your movement speed over river. I I think it just uh, takes away the combat penalty. Oh, I thought it also lets you cross without losing all your movement. Maybe, but I don't. I don't think so. I'd have to double check that. The cliff one is more niche. Yeah, that's super niche. Although it, it's nice when when you need it, it's nice. But it's not that often you need it. Yeah, I feel like those two probably should have just been the same promotion, and there should have been something else on the other side. <sighs> But the ones I care about are available early to melee units. And that's just, like, sponging and fighting better in melee. And worry about the rest later. So, speaking of unforeseen interactions, and yeah, we have another spiffing Brett video showing off another unforeseen interaction. This one uh, for infinite money. Thanks to the uh, new barbarian camps. Uh, since you don't auto-pillage them when walking in anymore, uh, you can raid camp. So he uh, he was informed, or he found out, or I don't know how he came to know it, but you can, with a, like normally when you raid the barbarian camp with your ship as the Ottomans, you get no money. But if you had the promotion uh, for looting, then you do get the money from that just that promotion. And there's no limit to this. So you can just click it for infinite money. Specifically because the Ottoman uh, unique uh, privateer unit uh, does not spend a movement point when it 
does a coastal raid. Yeah, so you're basically coastal raiding, and even though by default you get no money, with the promotion you do get money, and if you get any money at all, and you can do it infinite times, because you don't lose movement, then you get infinite money. Yeah, he even set up like a auto-click macro with his mouse, and uh, left it running for like a couple hours, and actually found that the maximum amount of money that you can have in Civilization VI is uh, was is like 8 million and something. Yeah. Yeah, he hit the limit of how much gold the game will let you have. In a single turn. Oh, and by the way, the, the melee things, it's its as I remembered. The, you get the plus one movement in addition to cliff walls, if you pick that one. Oh, okay. Plus one movement in all situations? Yeah, Kinska, cliff walls, and plus one movement. And Amphibious, the, the river crossing one is also, it removes the movement penalty. Oh, okay. Then, those are better than I thought they were. Either is a perfectly viable option. Yeah, okay, that's that's way better than I thought it was. The double attacks at the end is nice too, but yeah. Uh, wow, that was uh, I, I didn't expect to be done with that spiffing Brit video so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's well, pretty it, simple once you get down to it. There's yeah. not a lot to say about having infinite money. It, it's pretty game breaking to be able to just buy anything you want. Yeah, the actual, like, exploit takes him all of, like, two minutes to show, and then he spends the rest of, like, the 20 or so minute video just buying up uh, units and stuff like that and conquering everyone. Yes. So, showing what you can do with that infinite money, but I don't think many Civ players need to be told what to do with infinite money. (laughs) Buy everything, literally. Except more population, you can't buy that in Civ. You sort of can. this this video did expose something that actually does annoy me about the uh, Barbarian Clans uh, uh, game mode, which is that, if I'm understanding correctly, if you're not playing with the Ottoman unique privateer, uh, naval raider units cannot perform a coastal raid of uh, the Barbarian encampments, like, at all. Because in order to... Because oh. in order to... Disp- at least this is my understanding. I could be wrong... But as I understand it, in order to disperse the the new clan in that game mode, you have to have your unit on the tile of the outpost. And then you have two buttons, one button to raid and one button to disperse. Uh, so it looks like if you're just playing as, say, like Norway, right, where just all of your naval melee units can do coastal raid, I don't think you can use that on the barbarian outposts anymore because you can't move the naval unit onto the tile for those buttons to appear. So unless they actually like put in another button that lets you do that from adjacent on the water, uh, I haven't been able to test this yet. I'm assuming that you just cannot use raider units against barbarians anymore in this mode, which like really does kind of suck and hurt some of the civilizations like Norway that specialize in that. Maybe like if you had the promotion, like you can do the same thing that, uh, Uh, The Ottomans can do, you just can't do it an infinite number of times in one turn. You can just maybe use the Coastal Raid to, quote, raid the tile and just get the 50 bonus gold, but you don't disperse the camp or get the gold for dispersing it. But you can only do that once per turn. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't tested it. Well, that's your homework for the week. Yeah, I guess I'll have to try that out and come back in two weeks and let everyone know what I found. But if true, that does suck, because I actually really like the naval raider units. They are one of my favorite unit types in the game. I love me my privateers. And I also really like the Barbarian Clan's game mode, so these two 
really liking of these things is in conflict. So hopefully I am wrong, or I am right, and Firaxis fixes it at some point. Yeah, because that, that does feel slightly unfair that only Ottomans can do it and nobody else. Yeah. Well, like I said, you can still do it with the that promotion. You just only can mm. do it once per turn, and it does not disperse the barbarian uh, outpost. So, I mean, I guess maybe it lets you farm that like indefinitely if you want to just sit there for multiple turns you get less gold per turn uh but it would be nice to just have the same options to either disperse or raid the clan using the coastal raid mechanic with an adjacent raider unit like they should be functionally identical to having a land unit on there in my opinion but maybe there's some technical reason why they can't do that i don't know Well, everybody, this has been episode 300. I think I did this last time, didn't I? <laughs> oh, uh, well. It's not That's in the fine. script. This has been episode 380 of the Polycast. I am Canis Albinus, and I've been with our regular co-hosts, Macaloo. I guess I'm not used to doing this either or something. Hi, bye. <laughs> The me and team. The best way to build builders is to build swords. And Mega Bears fan. I like privateers. So you like big boats and you cannot lie? Yar. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6, Sound Tips, Copyright Take 2, Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net. Yar. And let's take him out with a good old sea shanty. What would you do with a drunken sailor? (laughs) 